and uh, we want to counteract that. Um, you don't have to be ashamed of that. It's okay. But we want to learn to read our Bibles. We want to learn to be able to open them, find where things are, and just read them so that any time we read a passage, we know what, what they mean. Second reason uh, we want to do this Bible study format, and we've done it before. Some of you are familiar with this. We've done it a couple of times before. The reason we want to do it is because you have something to say about the Scriptures. You are smarter than you think. You don't give yourself enough credit for how much you know about the Bible. And uh, I want to hear comments, statements, insights, questions from all of us. Another reason we're uh, doing this Bible study format for a few weeks is um, to just approach the Scriptures in a different way and and, and in a fresh way. Now, you might want to, if you haven't already, you might want to bring your own Bibles to church over these Sundays because sometimes you like, if you're a note taker, some people like to take notes in their Bibles in the front or their back or in the margins, and it's kind of nice to have your own Bible. But nevertheless, there's some provided for you right down by your uh, knees. We do that. Not a problem. By the way, I know there's several... um, there are several uh, people, I think some on TV, some on radio, I don't know, maybe some of your favorite Bible teachers, and I know a couple of them have this thing, you know, where you hold up your Bible and then you say this little statement. You know what I'm talking about? Have you seen those people? I don't have a Bible chant. I just want you to know that. I don't, I don't have one of those. You know, here's my Bible and I'll follow it and read it and whatever they say. I don't have a Bible chant, so I'm sorry. Let's just get into it. How about that? Why Second Timothy? Well, 2 Timothy is one of the first books that I studied when I was just learning to study the Bible. I kind of cut my biblical chops on this book. And I find 2 Timothy to be very personal in tone. And it has a lot of rich verses and words and ideas that I think really speak to our hearts. And it's a very accessible book. You know, it's not one of those biblical books that's kind of archaic that you have to do a lot of research and study to figure out. I think you read it and you get the plain meaning and you can, and you can kind of get into it and, and figure out what it means. Um, Second Timothy was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a young man, a young Christian leader named Timothy. That's where it gets its name. And it was the last letter that Paul wrote. This letter of Paul's, which, uh, and by the way, the letters of Paul make up most of the New Testament. If you look in the table of context in your Bible... You look at the books of the New Testament. All the books from Romans to Philemon are all the books, letters that Paul wrote. They make up a large part of our New Testament. And they're arranged not by date, not by the order Paul wrote them in, but by size. If you notice, you'll notice Romans is the longest letter and Philemon is the shortest letter. So that's why 2 Timothy falls where it is. It's one of the shorter letters of Paul. Um, But nevertheless, Paul is in prison when he writes this letter. And he mentions to... Timothy that his ministry and his life are about ready to come to an end. He's going to be executed by the Roman Empire and government for his faith. And he tells Timothy that the time has come for his departure. And towards the end of the letter, he writes this. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. I have kept the faith. Keeping the faith. That's what 2 Timothy is about. Paul writes one final letter to this young man named Timothy to encourage him and to tell him how to keep the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for himself and for others. That actual word, faith, will appear nine times in his letter to Timothy. Faith. Faith is a set of beliefs that we hold to. Faith is also a life that we live. 
It's something we believe, but it's something also that we live. And if you're a Christian, then that is centered in and it is about the Lord Jesus Christ. A little background on the book of uh, 2 Timothy and about Timothy. We read back in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 that Paul met Timothy on one of his missionary journeys. And Timothy, we learn, is from uh, a home where the mother is Jewish and the father is a Greek, a Gentile. And the woman, the mother, his mother has become a Christian and his father probably is a non-believer. Has no spiritual impact in his life. And Christians in a number of places spoke very highly of Timothy. He had a good reputation. And Paul, knowing a potential good leader when he saw one, recruits Timothy and has him begin to go with he and Silas, Paul's other partner, and and says, why don't you follow us around? Why don't you learn what we're doing and, and, and become a part of this ministry? Timothy will become a pastor in the city of Ephesus. We know this from reading 1 Timothy. And before we turn to 2 Timothy, if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, which is a letter from Paul just a little before 2 Timothy. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. Oh, I can hear those pages turning. It's music to my ears. The turning of those pages. Philippians 2.19, we, we get this insight into Timothy because Paul talks about Timothy here. He writes to them and he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone else looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. A glowing report about Timothy. He doesn't just look after his own interests. He looks after the interests of Jesus Christ. And we sense that Timothy became something of a protege of Paul's. He was mentored. He was trained. He was guided by Paul. And in some ways, this letter is... The older mentor passing the torch to the younger pastor. It is one generation giving final words to a younger generation about how to keep the faith. So let's read the beginning of 2 Timothy. Chapter 1, let's read the first 14 verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as my forefathers did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. 
So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. What you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Well, whenever we open our Bibles and we read just one verse or we read several verses or a whole passage, the first thing we do is we observe. We just take stock. What is there? What words, what phrases are used? Uh, what words appear, uh, appear again and again? We, we look at who's mentioned. What takes place? Uh, what action happens? When does it happen? Where does it happen? And are there comparisons or contrasts? So we have a couple of people, uh, Bruce and Mark have microphones, and, and we only want to use microphones so you can hear one another in your comments, and also we can uh, pick them up. So just raise your hand when you have a, an insight, an observation. There's no right or wrong answer. We're just observing right now. What is in there? What captures your attention? What words, what names, what phrases are in there? We're just observing. So uh, raise your hand when you have uh, something, and uh, Mark and Bruce will bring something to you. He names um, Timothy's grandmother and mother by name. Isn't that interesting? We get two names, his mother and his grandmother. Anybody here have a mother or a grandmother? See, it's already relevant to you, isn't it? And their names are what? Lois and Eunice. By the way, uh, if I can just follow up on that observation, there's five personal names used in these first verses. You've got two of them, Lois and Eunice. Can you find three other personal names? Paul, duh. Timothy, duh. Christ Jesus, yeah. And actually, God the Father's mentioned too. We could throw him in. And the reason I point that out is there are 23 names in 2 Timothy besides Paul and Timothy's names. 23 names. So as we read through this, you're going to see it here a lot of names. Very good. His mother and his grandmother. Uh, he says, don't be ashamed three times in the passage. Yeah. Don't be ashamed. Very interesting, huh? Don't be ashamed. What might, why might he need to say that to Timothy? We'll talk about that. Good observation. Next. Over here. I'm intrigued by his phrase, come join me in suffering for Christ, which would seem like not necessarily the most motivational thing to uh, say to an inspiring young, uh, young preacher. Yeah, come join me in suffering for Christ. I don't do a lot of recruiting with that uh, phrase. It doesn't work real well here. Yeah, come teach VBS. Come join in suffering for Christ. Come, come teach. Yeah, it doesn't work, does it? Very good. What else? Other observations. What do you see? What do you read? 
Over here. He calls Timothy my son. Yes, he does. Um, it's just the confidence that he has in Timothy just comes through so overwhelmingly. Not only calls him his son, but he uh, says, boy, I'd really like to see you. Here. He constantly talks about inspiring people about God, and I was just really struck by the phrase, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Interesting just, phrase. Fan into flame the gift of God that you have. We'll have to talk about that. Yeah, good observation. What else do you see? These are all good. See how smart you are? See how well you do this? Yeah. What else? Anybody else? Right here. I noticed, too, that he's calling on the receiver of that letter to feel like part of a family. He's reminding him of his ancestors and the the people around him that there will be his support there, system mm -hmm. because he's leaving. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a family there. Absolutely. Good. Good. Anything else? Well, let me stop you. Let me just, uh, over here, let me do a couple things and we'll get to Eric. Uh, you know, I notice also there's, there's a lot of imperatives, commands in here, these do this things. You know, fan the flame. Do not be ashamed. Join in suffering. Keep the pattern of sound teaching. Guard the treasure. A lot of these, what I call imperatives, these do this phrases that he just wants them to do. Eric. Uh, yeah, you just said what I was going to say. Oh, so. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. We're good. But yeah, See? in, the sh in you know, short 14 short uh, phrases, there's at least three direct charges to, Thim to Timothy to take action. So. Yeah, these direct charges. Yeah, absolutely. One more over here. Elaine, yeah. Good comments. Well, I was just looking that it was praying. He was praying day and night. He didn't have a certain prayer time at 9 o'clock in the morning, and that was the only time he prayed. Day and night, he says, I pray for you. And when he remembers him, um, verse 4, notice how he says, and, and I'm recalling your tears, Timothy's tears. Uh, someone had mentioned that he... Uh, you know, he calls him my dear son in verse 2. And now he says, you know, I long to see you so I may be filled with joy. Like, they just there's just this relationship between them that's very warm and important. And, uh, and he prays for him day and night. It's not just a couple minutes in the morning. I pray for you in the day. I pray for you in the night. All day long, I'm just thinking of it. Yeah. Well, that's what, that's what you do when you open your butt. You just say, what's there? You know, and, and some of the things begin to, to speak. Uh, all kinds of things we could say, what we observe. But the second thing we do, uh, a, a good step to take when we study our Bibles, is now we ask, well, what do those things mean that I see and that I observe? Uh, we interpret. We interpret these things. What do these things mean? So let's just pick out a few things that we observe and make sense of them. Let me go back to that warm relationship between Paul and Timothy, where he says, my dear son, and, and how he give thanks for him. Uh, obviously, these are... You know, sometimes Paul writes letters to people, and he says, uh, you know, you idiots, and, uh, uh, or, or people he's never met. But boy, this is, a, this is a, you just get the feeling that he is passing along something very dear to, to someone who's like a son to him. 
And he wants to just pour into him everything he knows about this faith because as, as was mentioned, he's leaving. He's not going to be around much longer. Other things, what, what these things mean. Someone uh, talked about Lois and Eunice and we have this, uh, this grandmother and this uh, mother named. And, and it's, how does Paul describe Timothy's faith? How does he say, what kind of faith does he have? A sincere faith. Not just any, it's a sincere faith. And he gets it from who? His grandmother and his mother. What do you think that, what do you make of that? What connections do you make? One of them is right here. Uh, you know, there's, there's this family here, but you want to do anything with that? That Paul would mention his mother and his grandmother? Didn't have to. What do you think that might mean? Any takers? Any thoughts? Back up here again. His roots and the strength. The sense of time in his faith. That he is not just, he is not a convert 20 minutes ago. He has heritage. He has a heritage. Yeah, it certainly speaks about religious heritage. How many of you are the Christian you are today and you have a faith because of a parent or a grandparent in your life? Raise your hand. A lot of people. Makes a difference. Makes a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, something about heritage, our religious heritage we come from. What else? Other things you want to interpret, you want to talk more about. Someone mentioned, you know, that phrase, fan into flame. What does that mean? What's that picture? Fan into flame, this gift of God. Any takers? Over here. A couple. Use your energy to make it bigger. Say that again, Donnery. Use your energy to make it bigger. Use your energy, make it bigger. Multiply. Multiply. Increase it. Yeah, sense of that. The gift of God. Turn, uh, turn to the book before 2 Timothy. You know what the book before 2 Timothy is? 1 <laughs> Timothy. Go to the fourth chapter and look at the 14th verse. Chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, the first letter that he wrote to Timothy. And in verse 14... Paul says, do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders, that is the church leaders, laid their hands on you. And now here again, he's bringing him back to that moment when people laid hands on you and you were given a gift. Now, we're not told what the gift is, but I would guess it's probably something like teaching, preaching, leading. Timothy, rekindle that gift. Get that flame going. What does a flame need to, to grow? Oxygen. Blow the, get the fan going on that. You, you, you need to be using that gift. And I wonder if it has anything to do with, back in 2 Timothy, the verse um, right after that, he says, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity. I wonder if Timothy's being a little timid. Gee, I don't know. You know I, I don't know if I should be, what I should be doing. Or, and Paul says, no way. You, you use that gift. Get, make it burn hot. Make it burn hot. Over here, Bruce, get a mic right over there. Pass the mic down to Dennis so we can all hear. I love this uh, verse, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. That speaks of the heritage and, and, 
in God's gift. Verse 14, guard it. And we'll talk more about this next week. He talks more about this, passing it along. By the way, that term good deposit in the Greek, uh, the Greek phrase actually means treasure. Valuable treasure. Guard this treasure. There's something, this, this content of faith, it's something to be guarded and passed along. Yeah. Um, look at verse 9. Uh, one of my observations was he talks about the gospel. Uh, in verse 8 he says, you know, I'm suffering for the gospel. And I think verse 9 and verse 10 are kind of a, a concise statement of what that gospel is. What is the Christian gospel? It's a gospel about a God who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Two things there, I see, that mean something. One, that God saves us by grace. Nothing that we do. You're not saved because of anything of your efforts. But there's a second part to the gospel, and, and we hear that in the gospel a lot. I'm saved by grace. There's a second part in verse 9, and it's this. Can you find it? Called us to a holy life. You're not only saved by grace, but you are called to a holy life. What's the picture you get in your mind when you hear the word holy life? What do you think about? Just what comes to your mind? Jesus? What else? Anybody think of like, I don't commit any sins? Uh, maybe sitting around with candles and praying all day? You know, holy. Talking very quietly. I never get mad. I never make any mistakes. Well, I don't think that's a holy life because we make mistakes. And the Bible is full of people who make mistakes. I don't think it's being emotionless. I don't think it's sitting around with candles and praying. I think wherever and whatever we're called to, it's belonging to God. That's what a holy life is. You know, the word holy literally just means set apart. We call it holy communion. We call it a holy Bible. There's nothing in this book that, you know, this is ink and paper. It's not the ink and paper that's special, but it's what we believe it contains, what it's about that makes it holy. It's set apart. It is different. A holy life is a life that's set apart for God. Christ has his hand on us, and we live solely for him. And we are not only saved by grace, we are saved from something, but we are also saved for something. It's not just you're saved by grace from your own imperfections and mistakes and sins. You are also saved for a holy life, to live as God wants you to live. We are not our own. We don't belong to ourselves. A holy life. As a matter of fact, I'm not holy by nature. I don't know if you are, but I'm not holy by nature. As a matter of fact, we're all born. The Bible says from birth we're unholy. And the gospel is that Jesus Christ can take his disposition, his life. Josh said, holy life, you, you think of Jesus. And when a person becomes struck by their sense of need, God will put the Holy Spirit in that person's spirit, if you would. And that person's spirit begins to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, and Christ will be formed in us we begin to live as holy people. Not that we'll never make mistakes, we're not free of mistakes, but we are set apart. Our aim is God. We know we're not our own. We belong to God. Other things that, that you think some of these things mean. What else? 
Um, see those, that, that verse, uh, verse 13, where he says, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. The pattern of sound teaching. Literally, the, the word in Greek, sound, that phrase means healthy words. Sound teaching, it's, it's healthy words. The gospel is something healthy. It's something valuable. Uh, it's something to be kept. It's something to be guarded and spoken and communicated in a certain way. You know, there are all kinds of periphery issues in the Christian gospel that, that vary. Um, you know, how and when someone is baptized, uh, how people do communion. Um, there, there are all kinds of things that vary from maybe church to church. But there's a core, there's an essential part of our faith that doesn't vary, that is non-negotiable. The person and the deity of Christ, the sinfulness of all people, and, and the cross and the sacrificial cross of Jesus and the physical reality of the resurrection and the authority of the word of God. Those are things that are just at the core that you can never compromise, no matter what. Um, many core beliefs of the essential gospel are under attack today, but those things stand no matter what. The gospel still remains. Well, the last thing we do when we uh, study the Bible, the, the first part is observation. The second part is we interpret. We ask why. The third and final step you take is you say, well, I've read these things, and I think I have a sense of what they mean, but what do they mean for me? We apply them now to our life. What do they mean to this world that I live in? How does something 2,000 years ago speak to my life in the 21st century? So now we begin to apply them. How do these things interact with your life? How do they speak to your faith or to the things that go on in our world today? Over here. Um, where he talks about um, how God gave us a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Um, and over in 14, guard the good deposit with the help of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. It really talks about the, the gifts God's given us, but it's the Holy Spirit that helps us carry those things out in the world. We can't do it under our own power, that we've got to stay in relationship with God to carry those things out. Good point. Yeah, thank you for that. Very good. I gained from that. Yeah. And going along with that, there's a real obligation here, almost a scary one, and maybe that's why Timothy was timid as well. And you bringing out the fact that the Holy Spirit is there to help us is a comfort. There's someone there to help you get through it. You don't have to do it on your own. Very good. Just that phrase at the end of verse 14, the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Yeah, our helper. Good observation. Very good. Don't be scared to say something. Don't be scared to throw something out or a question. Uh, this is how we grow. This is how we learn. I think, too, that in the earlier excerpts you were quoting, that uh, the idea of fanning the flame of your faith, and that I mean, to me that means keeping the passion that you have for God and, and, and for his will, is exhausting in the 21st century. We're exhausted. How do, you know, where are we going to find our flame? We just want to go to sleep. You know, it, it's, it's tough to keep passion when you're so divided and, and your, your culture is so multitasking. And I think that uh, that's, that calls to me in the 21st century as a real challenge considering the culture that is beating our spirituality down with our exhaustion and fatigue. Good observation. And, and 
And also on that, you know, what does he say to fan? The gift of God. The gifts are, are what God gives to each one. He has given every, when you come to faith in Christ, everybody has a gift. You have some ability that he gives you that, that is just part of your spiritual DNA. It's not even some, I mean, you have to work with it, but, but you don't have to work for it. It just comes naturally to you. It might be teaching. It might be preaching. It might be love. You just have this incredible capacity. I know people who have a gift of love. They have such a capacity to love, it's incredible. You have the gift of service, maybe, or the gift of organizing and administration, but everybody has a gift. And how do you, how do you fan that? How do you keep that going? You know, Paul says, Timothy, first of all, you've got to use it. Keep it going. Keep using it. He's gifted you. Uh, are you using the gift? Are we using the gifts that God has given us? If your gift, boy, if you've got a beautiful voice and you're a musician and, and you're not singing... I don't know. I think God wants you to use that. Fan the flame. Uh, keep it bright. Keep that passion going. Uh, here and then over here. Uh, along those lines, Phil is just passing along. We talk about heritage, but passing along exactly as you just said to others around us, families included. Passing along that faith. Um, the power and love and self-discipline, he puts those three things together. Verse 7. Right. I mean, the Holy Spirit can give us power, but if it's not tempered with love... Mm then it goes too far one way. Um, but it really takes self-discipline to, to keep that in balance. And so God calls us to do something very special in the world that you can't do without the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You know, you're mentioning that Paul was sitting in prison looking to his execution uh, as he wrote this and to be able to say, don't be timid, don't be afraid. If there's a guy that is under stress, it's Paul. And so I been a lot of comments about the power and the uh, grace and so on, but I find myself often timid and uh, and ashamed when I'm I'm not in any kind of stress like the Apostle Paul was under when he was able to say those words. So it's uh, it's inspiring. Good comment. Good comment. Yeah. Over here. Concerning the journeys, I like to read words. Um, remember, recall, kind of staying attuned to what has happened in the long of the journey. Uh-huh. Yeah, journey words. Let me go back to something Bill said here. That's good, you know, the, this legacy. Timothy is nurtured in his faith by his mother and his grandmother and by Paul. And, and I asked you, how many, of, how many of us have been influenced by someone in our family? We are the Christian we are today because in some way a mother or, or, or father or grandparent or aunt or uncle, who knows, helped us in our faith in some way. Uh, what is the legacy that we pass along? If you're a parent or if you're a grandparent, um, what, what are you giving to your children? Do they know you're a Christian? Do they know that you pray? That you read the word? Or do you? Do you know that? Do they know? My mom, dad, my grandparents, they worship. They go to church on Sunday. Do they know that you serve? That your faith makes a difference to you? Timothy knew from his mother and grandmother. And I don't think, I, I'm not saying ram it down our kids' throats. You know how it is. We raise our kids and sometimes they stay with it. Sometimes they leave it and then sometimes they come back or sometimes they, it seems like they walk away. Remember, no story is done until it's over and God is always working in people. But, but what is our role as parents and grandparents to, to, to give a legacy, to pass on to the faith to our children? How seriously do we take that? Uh, very important, very important. And then the second thing, of course, Paul was a mentor to Timothy. 
Timothy needed someone like Paul outside of his family because we need people outside of our families too. People who we can talk to and, and learn from and ask questions. And Paul mentored Timothy. Think of the conversations, the walks, the traveling, how they talked about the faith. And um, Paul, Paul was a mentor to Timothy. And we all, we all, no matter what age, we need mentors. We need people who we can walk with and meet with and say, hey, help me in this. Help me figure this out, this Jesus thing and how I follow him. And tell me some of the things I should know. At the Mount, which is our Sunday night worship time, and it's filled with a lot of young people, teenagers, college students, young adults. This year we started a mentoring ministry because we had a lot of young people saying, and this is actually a characteristic, studies show, this is a characteristic of, of that early generation. They are longing for someone to come alongside them and say, take me where you've been. I want to learn from your experience. Show me how life in general is. Show me what it means to be a faithful Christian. Help me do that. Tell me the walk you've walked. Tell me about your life experiences. And we have, I don't know, 10 people now being mentored regularly, 10 younger people being mentored regularly by older, more mature, wiser, more experienced Christians in this congregation. And it's been a very good thing, very healthy thing, very healthy. There was, I'm sorry, there was someone else. Who else had a comment here? Some way this is speaking to you. Some way this is applying to you. Okay. Let me wrap this up this way. We're gonna, we're gonna, this, is, this is how we do it. This is what we're going to do for a couple of weeks, this Bible study format. Keeping the faith. Keeping the faith. After our looking at this, these opening words in 2 Timothy, how would we say, what is keeping the faith? Uh, it's having a sincere faith. Timothy had a sincere faith. Keeping the faith is being nurtured by parents and mentors and, and passing on to those younger than us. Keeping the faith is acting with power and love and self-discipline and self-control. Keeping the faith sometimes involves suffering. Keeping the faith is not being ashamed of what we believe and who we believe. Keeping the faith is responding to the grace of Jesus Christ to live a holy life. Keeping the faith is a pattern of sound, healthy teaching, a body of core beliefs. It's content. It's not just whatever, but there is something called the gospel, some essential teachings and beliefs that we hold to as Christians. Keeping the faith. Thanks for, thanks for doing this. Thanks for participating and being a part of it. Um, I grow. I get to grow when I hear just how God's word is encountered by all of us and the spirit leads us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, make us more aware of the faith we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you for those who have nurtured and who continue to nurture us in that faith. We thank you that we're saved not by what we do, but by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep us from a timid spirit. Help us to fan the flame of whatever gift we have. May the fire inside of us burn brightly and hot for the Lord. Help us to keep our faith alive in you. We pray it in the name of Jesus, the one we follow and worship. Amen.